Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in today. Dave Riesinger and this is Redeemed Church Online. I want to start the sermon today with an incredible story that really drives home the point of what we're talking about today. On June 8, 2002, a woman drove into the woods 35 miles northwest of Colorado with a wounded heart, an embittered heart, and a letter from her ex-husband. She drove up to a Circle Stone campfire and she took that letter from her ex-husband who had hurt her and she took a little match just like this and she lit that match and she lit that letter on fire to burn up the memory of his words. She then walked away, she put that match in the fire along with that letter and she got in her car and drove away and that letter that she lit from a bitter heart in the middle of Colorado became known as the Haman Fire. That act, that one small little act, burned 138,000 acres. It cost five firefighters their lives, another civilian. It cost over $100 million in combined damage. It took out 1,000 buildings and structures and it cost local businesses 50% of their revenue that they generated every year through tourism that was now washed away. Not only that, but think about this, all these uh, trees burned down and it caused floods to be able to happen and it ended up later washing out a bunch of uh, bridges and roads. So what a picture of what James talks about when he says that the tongue is a fire that has incredible capability. Yes, for good, but also for evil. One woman with an embittered heart who lit a letter on fire and she made history. And even to this day, all these years later, you can see the scorched hillsides and the devastation that took place back then. James 3, five through six says this, consider how small a spark sets a great forest ablaze. The tongue also is a fire, a world of wickedness among the body parts. It pollutes the whole person and sets the course of its life on fire and it itself is set on fire by hell. It was said once, be careful with your words because once they are said, they can only be forgiven, not forgotten. What a powerful statement. And the positive is true as well. I love this quote by Mother Teresa. She says this, Kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. The title of my message today is Transforming a Monster into a Minister. Let me say that again. We have a monster in our mouth called the tongue. And what God is trying to teach us through His loving word, because He cares about your life, He cares about your family, He cares about your peace, your well-being, most of all, your salvation and your eternity. And apparently, like a rudder directs a ship, this tongue in our mouth will direct our life. And so today, we want to talk about not just what the tongue does, like we did last week. If you missed it, check it out on redeem.church or our Facebook page. But today, I want to talk about how to transform this monster in our mouth into a minister for the glory of God. James says that no man can tame the tongue. Okay, great, thanks. 
What hope do we have if we have this relentless monster that's also called a spark, it's called a fire, it's called a deadly poison, it can't be tamed, like what hope then do we have if there's nothing we can do about it, right? Well, there's good news. Let me share two things with you. Number one, what's impossible for man is possible with God, right? So when I turn the reins of my mouth over to the Spirit, God will do things in and through my words that I can't produce on my own. He will give me a power. He will give me a compassion. He'll give me a patience that I cannot muster up even when I grit my teeth and I try my hardest. Eventually, I'm going to fail because I'm a man and this is a monster that I cannot tame by myself. So I need the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So here's the other good news here. Uh, and this is where we get down to, well, what can I do about it? How do I turn the reins of my mouth over to the Lord, who is the only one who can tame it? Here is the focal point of what we're going to talk about. The problem, now don't miss this, the problem is not uh, with our mouth. The problem doesn't originate with our words. This mouth monster is only mirroring and th this tongue is only mimicking what is in our hearts. Did you catch that? So whatever is inside of us, in our soul, our inner man, whatever's in our hearts is going to be reflected eventually and habitually and consistently in the patterns of our words. So why is this important? Well, let's first look at what Jesus says to these religious leaders as he very gently, very kindly, um, and very carefully rebukes them in Matthew 12, 34 through 36. It says this, he begins this gentle correction with these words, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? That doesn't sound too gentle, does it? Yet he didn't sin with his words. He was perfect love and perfect truth. There's a lot of truth coming out, but it's given in love because he realized that these were the leaders speaking for Israel, speaking for God, and they were poisoning the people with a brand of religion that did not match that of the heart of the Heavenly Father. Jesus came as the visible image of the invisible God, and oh, by the way, he's called the Word of God, right? So God sent his words in human form, his Word, and the Word is now confronting the givers of the Word in Israel, and he has really a, a pretty harsh tone with them because when you use words, you move the hearts that move the limbs and move the life. And they were not moving people in the right direction by their hypocritical uh, example. And so he says this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Did you catch that? What the heart is full of is going to overflow from the mouth. It says in verse 35, for, for the good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, but the evil person out of his evil treasure, where's the treasure? It's in the heart, brings forth evil. So the heart and the tongue are a married couple. This is husband and wife, y'all. I mean, and, and this, is, this is the truth too. The vast majority of the time we see the marriage between heart and tongue, between inner man and mouth, it is 
dysfunctional most of the time. Can I get an amen? Think about the marriage you got going on in your own soul and your own mouth. Would you say that it is harmonious and peaceful? Or would you say, you know what? I need to take this couple to some marriage counseling because they're not doing so good. They keep messing my life up, right? So God is confronting this, but he's pointing this out. Now understand this, both the tongue and the heart, they do influence each other, but the heart is the lead. The heart is the head of the home and it directs the tongue. But even so, in the same way, like when my heart is in a bad place, I can choose, even though I don't feel like it, I can choose by the Spirit of God, according to the truth that He's given me, I can choose to say things I don't feel, to contradict lies, and in speaking life, I can actually counter death, even though it doesn't come from the, the uh, predominant abundance of my heart, I can choose to obey against what my heart is full of, when again, I submit my mind and my mouth to the Word of God and just practice what it says. But for the most part, it's the heart that moves the mouth. And what the tongue does is the tongue tattles. You ever grew up as a kid and you had a sibling, maybe you were the tattletale, somebody that always had to go tell on their sibling. Oh, did you hear Dave's doing this? Did you hear this? Uh, the, the tongue will tattle on the heart. This is why if you want to know what's truly in your heart, then monitor the patterns of your mouth. Now check this out, please don't miss this, right? Because we can all put on good speech in a pinch. Under pressure when we have to, I can allow my words to betray my heart. In fact, Jesus said the, 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 the Pharisees, the religious leaders were good at this. He called them hypocrites. You know what hypocrite means? Hypocrite means actor. That's what they called actors in the Colosseums and in the shows back then. They knew how to act, but one time he says, um, yeah, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So there's a way we could kind of fool people. Um, you know, you've had the argument, maybe you're married and you've had the argument with your spouse and you're just in this heated debate and it's ugly and, you know, you've got the ugly face on, one of you is ugly crying, you know, and it's just not pretty. Um, you're not saying things that you're going to be proud of later. And all of a sudden you get a knock on the door and your neighbor shows up and all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, you snap into king and queen charisma and you put on the charm. Have you ever been there? I have a friend who told me about this and that's the only reason I know, right? But you, your neighbor comes, hey, what y'all up to? And immediately your mouth starts to betray what's really in your heart and what was really happening. Oh, you know, actually we were just reflecting on the preciousness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ of Nazareth and the goodness that he has given us in our life and how awesome family and even the breath we breathe is. Um, and so uh, that's really what we're talking about. That's really what we've been doing all day and we just can't wait to um, get into some worship time, right? And then you close the door, you climb right back into that cage fight and your hearts are truly exposed. Listen, when you wanna know what's in your heart, not under the pinch or under those times of like acting, but when no one's around, what are the patterns that come out of your mouth? When you're just with your family, when tension arises, you know that pressure doesn't make or break you as much as reveals you. And so if you were to pay attention to the, to the words of your mouth, to the manuscripts of your mouth, 
and you were to kind of watch what comes out, you're going to see reflected what is in your heart, right? And so let me give you a couple examples of this. Um, a complaining. So if you find yourself, man, you're always complaining. If it's sunny outside, it's too hot, right? If it rains, oh, I hate the rain. If it's cloudy, man, when's the sun coming out? Right? He's just never happy. And, and it, you know, no, nobody can do something right. Um, you know, oh, that's good, but you could have done this more, you know, better. But if, if your words are complaining and negative, you're simply reflecting a doubting and ungrateful heart. Now, it's not that God hates you. It's just that he wants to point out, listen, your words are tattling on your heart. And if you want to get control of this monster and turn it into a minister, then you're going to have to look at what it's fueled by. And you have to get down to the root under the ground that produces the weed above the ground. It's the same thing. We can try and chop the weed, but if we don't dig under the surface and pull up that root, that root will continue to produce negativity and doubt. And if we just try harder not to be negative and we never deal with the condition on the inside, then it's never going to change anything, right? You can have angry, frustrated words. Maybe you're somebody who has outbursts of wrath and you know, impatience and yelling and constantly blowing up on people. What's, what's that about? Is it just because everybody's a jerk and everybody's inconveniencing you? Or could it be that in your heart you have an angry and bitter heart? Somebody who's gossiping and slandering others, talking about um, sharing secrets that were provided in confidence and you just can't help but share them with other people. It's not a problem with the mouth, y'all. It is a problem with the heart because somebody that does that has a, it's a heart that's full of manipulation and divisiveness. And God wants to heal that divisiveness. Or maybe you're constantly talking about yourself, exalting yourself lifting yourself up, and uh, it just shows that maybe there's some pride and some conceit in our hearts. And so today, I have one point, a one-point sermon, and the sermon today is not just how to uh, turn this mouth monster into a minister, but uh, to perfect our mouth, we must purify our hearts. To perfect our mouth, we must purify our hearts. I love this. In Psalm 19, 14, David says this. Now look at the marriage. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David understood this. Listen, the mouth, if it's going to glorify God and be pleasing to him, then the meditation of my heart has to be right because you can't have one without the other and it be true, right? So to perfect my mouth, I must purify my heart, which means I need to be intentional about what I meditate on. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. <clears throat> I remember being in youth group one time and a kid opened up and uh, we, we had him read and he, uh, he, he read not out of the book of Philippians, he called it the book of Filipinos. So I don't know, that's literally ADD. That wasn't in my notes, that just popped up in my head. So that was in my heart. Um, here we go. Back to, uh, back to the scripture. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Anxiety is felt where? In the heart. So when my heart starts to feel anxious, what do I want to do? I want to let my words 
complain and speak fear. But he says here, when the heart is trying to direct the mouth with anxiety, instead, know this, start to pray about everything through supplication. And then, oh, by the way, anxiety means you're probably not feeling thankful or grateful. So instead, speak truth to the lie and be thankful when everything in your heart doesn't want to be. Do you see how the the mouth then can help the heart? Because once I start to speak truth and speak faith, then I start to build faith in this anxious, trembling heart because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I'm going to allow my spirit man to obey the word even when I'm not feeling it, and I'm gonna minister to my own heart and purify it so that it can support my mouth in the mission to be a minister for God's glory instead of a monster that speaks fear and causes other people to doubt, right? He goes on in verse seven, it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Check that out. I feel anxious, I choose to speak the opposite, I pray, I give thanksgiving, and womb, the peace of God, then comes in and ministers to this anxious heart. Then it goes on to say, finally, brothers, whatever is true, what are, what are things that are true? Your identity in Christ. You are not your behavior. You are who God called you to be. You are not the bad week you had. You are the person that God calls you in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of Christ in him. You are a child of God. You are an heir of salvation. You are beloved. You are his You are the apple of his eye. You are worth the death of the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. That's who you are. So that's true. Meditate on that when you want to hate yourself and speak negative about yourself and beat yourself up and condemn yourself because of the mistakes you've made. No, I thank you that I'm a child of God. You need to speak that over yourself and meditate on it, right? Whatever things are true, um, whatever things are pure, what are things that are pure? Jerry Springer ain't pure, y'all. If you're watching Jerry Springer Marathon, come on, I know I'm talking to somebody here. Y'all need to turn that off and meditate on something that is pure. Whatever things are honorable, whatever things are just, um, whatever, whatever things are lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, right? So he, he's saying this, this is how you change the mouth by what you meditate on. David again reinforces this in Psalm 119.11. He says, I have stored up um, in, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is why spending time in the word of God every day, reading it, meditating on it, writing it, journaling. If I can get God's word in me, I'm storing up the truth that will prevent my mouth from sinning and lighting fires that destroy possibility and potential and people, right? So let me close with this last idea. And this is such a great picture of the reality that I'm talking about. I'm not gonna read the passage for the sake of time, but man, this is so good because I feel like we fall into one of these categories. Children of Israel have just left Egypt, hundreds of years under bondage, conditioned to see themselves as slaves. God says to Moses, hey, I'm taking you guys out. We're doing a jailbreak here, right? Um, But here's how we're going to get out. I'm not just going to perform a miracle. I'm not just going to do all the work. Now, I'm going to do the miracles, but 
I want you to participate in your own freedom. And there's this Pharaoh who's got you guys on lockdown. And I'm going to make it really difficult if he doesn't let you go. But Moses, I want you to go speak to your enslaver and tell him with your mouth, let my people go, says the Lord. He says, I want you to declare with your mouth to the one that has you in captivity, let my people go. He has to do this 10 times. So 10 plagues come and God in partnership with Moses, who is showing us a great picture of what it looks like to even confront strongholds in our life. God doesn't say just try harder. God says, speak to that mountain and be moved and cast into the sea. Jesus tempted into the wilderness. He, he's tempted. He, he says, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He counters and he comes back against the enemy with words of truth to counter the lie. Well, they get out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They go through this process and God then wants to bring them into the promised land. You know the story. But he, he, he does something. Hey, I want one leader from every tribe, so 12 spies, they go, they scout out the land, and they're supposed to come back with reports, okay? Now, if you, this is a famous story, so you've probably heard this, but the point I want to make out of this is 12 dudes saw the same exact thing, grapes the size of basketballs, bananas the size of fishing boats. I don't know if that was true or not, but um, a land that flows with milk and honey and honey nut Cheerios, right? Skittles growing on trees. There were unicorns, right? I don't, just imagine like amazing, plush, lush land. They all saw the same thing. Yeah, there were some inhabitants in the land. There were some, some walled cities. But when they came back, they split into two groups according to their report. One group, which was 10 men, they gave a report and then Joshua and Caleb saw things differently, although they saw the same thing. How can 12 dudes put their eyes on the same thing, walk the same soil and come back and give two different reports? Well, I'm going to share why in just a second. The 10 that gave the negative report, they saw the possibilities, but they said, it's too big for us. It's too much. The enemy is too strong. We'll never be able to do it this land will devour us. And they sum up their report so well in verse 32 of chapter 13. It says, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own sight and we must have seemed the same to them. Think about this. They said, this is how we see ourselves. Therefore, this is how they must see us. And because of what they saw and what they felt internally, it dictated their report. Are you hearing me? The reason that so many of you want to give up on dreams, so many of you are, are doubting that God can get you out of a situation, it's not because it's real or true, but it's because your heart perceives it to be true. Therefore, your words declare what your heart is full of. And I'm speaking to myself here too. This is a challenge for all of us. But Joshua and Caleb, they said, listen, Caleb tries to quiet the crowd. He's like, dude, you guys shut your pie hole. Stop talking. He knew that the, the, the damage would come if the words left their mouth. He said, listen, they are but prey to us and we're the predators. They won't devour us. We'll devour them. Man, we need to go at once because God is with us. How could he see that when he saw the giants and he saw the walled cities? Well, 
it says very clearly in the next chapter why Caleb was able to say what these other 10 spies weren't able to say. Why one group had a monster in their mouth that poisoned the entire camp, that canceled the, the promise for an entire generation, and why Caleb ended up getting in as well as Joshua. Numbers 14, 24. But my ser servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, he had a different inner man. His heart was different. It was more pure. It was loyal to the Lord. Because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which, uh, which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Listen, to turn the monster of the mouth into a minister for God's glory, we must first commit to let God transform our hearts. So here's how we do this. We let God take inventory. This is your homework. Watch what you say, and when you say it, and it counters the truth of God's word, pause right there, take inventory, and if you can, maybe you're gonna do it later that night, but make note of it. Process it with the Lord. Invite the Lord. Say, Jesus, would you just come in right now and show me why this came out of my mouth and what is in my heart? And God, would you just, would you just search my heart? Would you just search my inner man? And would you begin to take me through the garden of this heart and start to pull the weeds? And this is where repentance and confession and humility come in. Because it's when I say, God, I don't want to just know that it's in my heart, but the same way it probably got spoken to your life in some way, shape, or form, or it was planted through a conversation that the, the serpent had with our great-great-grandmother Eve, and those words ended up literally corrupting her DNA and we're born with sin naturally. But it's when we say, I repent, I acknowledge that this was negative. I acknowledge this was hurtful. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. And then it's walking through this process. God, I renounce that lie. I am not a complainer. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm thankful. Uh, Lord, I'm not somebody that hurts with my words. I'm somebody that heals with my words. I'm not going to have a hitman living in my mouth sent on assignment from the enemy. I'm going to have a healing element that comes forth from me because I reflect the word who became flesh and dwelt among us and spoke life into us. And so let God show you the patterns of your mouth to get to the root of your heart. Um, we might continue this next week. I've got some really cool illustrations and uh, another um, great weapon against the enemy when it comes to this idea. But I want to pray with you right now as we close. And again, I don't want to assume that maybe we're just all in some mediocre category. Um, I know that some of us have been wrecked by the words spoken to us or the words that we've spoken. We realize that we have done some real, real damage. But the same way a forest can be set on fire, imagine if there was a flame that you could light and you could take a piece of paper and you could, you could take this different flame and you could put it in a forest and it was like a forest redemption or a forest healing fire, right? That God literally, through the power of your words, you could use a spark of life to heal and revive what's been scorched by death. And so let's just pray. Let's just go to the Lord. Father, we come to you now. We ask that you would minister to our hearts and that you would forgive us for the words that we've spoken. Negative, hurtful, gossiping, um, condescending, slanderous, whatever it is, God. We ask that you would forgive us. And we pray that you would cleanse us. And we ask that, God, 
you would build in us and replace what was in our hearts negatively with the truth, the compassion, and the presence of your spirit that would cause our mouths to be instruments of healing in the name of Jesus. And I pray right now for all condemnation to be broken off of every person who feels so torn up by guilt because of this. And God, for those that don't know you, I pray that they would put their faith in you, that they would trust in you as their savior, knowing that there is no way, no matter how good we are to get to heaven, unless we receive the only cure, which is faith in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. Love you. Um, thanks for being a part of what we got going online. And again, we say this every time. If this would be an encouragement to somebody else, please share it. Have a great week. Hey, Redeemed Church. Dave Riesinger here. And I have a special announcement that I want to make. Um, and so this is for our body, our flock, our congregation. And uh, this is for you. Um, we have been in a really weird time, as you know. Um, I feel like you know, the social distancing, um, the quarantine, there's been some good that's come out of it. Uh, I know some, many people I've talked to, hey, I've got more time with my family. I got some yard work done. I've been able to slow down. I haven't been so busy. I've been rested. These are all great things. I've got to experience some of that myself. One of the dangers that I feel in this moment, though, is that social distancing can create um, a lack of closeness in the body of Christ. And so we as a team um, are really prayerful and we're strategizing about how we can move forward and get the body to be high touch in a low touch environment. And so I want to read this passage to you. And uh, this just really hit me. Um, and I feel like it's very timely for where we're at. It says Ephesians 4, 7, uh, 1 through 7, as, prisoner, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So Paul calls himself a prisoner here. Then he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And this is the part that really stands out. Verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bonds of peace. Apparently keeping unity in the body, not just like getting along, but staying connected, staying in conversation, staying in proximity, um, loving one another. How do you bear somebody's burden if you don't know they have a burden? Apparently it takes effort. And I'll tell you what, like my first four, five, six, ten times on Zoom, I'm like, this stinks. I do not like this. I would rather be face to face. But I knew it required effort if we're going to try and keep some semblance of connection in a time of quarantine. And so verse four then says, there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then finally, this is the clincher, verse 7. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So think about this. Why do we make the effort to come together? Because apparently, like a potluck, there's something you're supposed to bring to the table. There's, a, there's a, a meal that you're supposed to give the rest of the people in the group who brought a different side item. And in the same way, as we start life groups on the week of the 27th, we're asking you to do the awkward thing in a, in a time of distance and bring your grace or your gift to the table. Join in a small group with others 
not because necessarily you need it, although you do, but maybe somebody else needs what you have to bring. I love you. I miss you. I wish I could see all of you more, and we will. Um, we've got some really exciting stuff coming up that is in the development stage, and so we'll keep you posted on that. But please make sure you sign up for a life group so that we can be the church that Jesus wants us to be. I love you, and I'll see you soon.